0: It's beautiful to hear so many people singing. Uh, You should sit up in the front sometime and you get to hear not just the worship team, but everybody else singing. It's a beautiful thing. If you are older than me, I'll let you decide for yourself, but if you're older than me, you're probably familiar with the phrase, question authority, right? It's a slogan popularized by the very controversial psychologist Timothy Leary. He wanted everybody to, to think for themselves or think for themselves with the help of uh, substances, perhaps. But uh, interestingly, some people have suggested the idea that this slogan can be traced back to the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, or uh, Ben Franklin said the same kind of idea. He said, it's the responsibility of every citizen to question authority. Even in the early church in Acts chapter five, the disciples question the authority of the Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these days, the idea of question authority, it's changed a little bit. Uh, the kids today, they're using some different language. Nowadays, we say "woke." Right? As in, uh, I'm woke to the situation. You could tell I don't use that word very often uh, ever. But I, I'm paying attention. Uh, I'm, I'm awakened to the fact that the authority structure may not have my best interests in mind. Woke. It's the new question of authority, right, for this generation. And this, this issue of authority, that's what I want us to talk about today. In a sense, we'll, we'll all be a little bit uh, woke. Uh, because the passage we're going to talk about today uh, is, is a, a passage about Jesus being woke, literally. He, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1 today, which records a very, very long day in the life of Jesus. He was woke for a long, long time in a stretch, Mark chapter 1. And there's a big section in the middle of Mark 1. It tells all kinds of different stories, but they all happen in one very long day. The day starts early in the morning, verse 14. We see Jesus go to Galilee. He sees some fishermen out on the Sea of Galilee. He calls them to be his disciples. So he's already done some significant work the day, that day. But it's still very early because immediately after that, it's time for a church, so to speak. They go into the synagogue, and Jesus starts teaching. And everybody's amazed at his authority. That's a key word authority. While he's teaching, this demon-possessed man cries out. Jesus silences the impure spirit, heals the man. He has authority over the, the spirit world, too. And then he goes on teaching. After he's teaching, Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house for a little bit of lunch. Simon's mother-in-law is sick, so Jesus heals her. He has authority over sickness. So Jesus has already had a full day. I mean, healing, teaching, calling disciples, anybody would be ready for a nap, right? But his day is not over. As soon as the sun goes down, verse 32, folks come from all over searching for healing. Because it was the Sabbath day, they had to wait until the, the end of the day before they could travel over to him. And, but they come, they come in droves, and Jesus heals a whole lot of people well into the night. He's healing folks, using his authority to bring healing and hope. And then notice verse 35. It says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out Made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. So another busy day ahead for Jesus. And, and I share this long day with you just to give you some, some context of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, he's, he's infinitely available to people in need. That The Gospels over and over show that Jesus was available. As incredible as it sounds, with so little time to teach and to train the very slow learning disciples, Jesus was always open for those who came to him looking for comfort, looking for healing. The Gospels don't ever record Jesus turning down a request for help. He always responds to people. And yet Jesus has more than enough ministry to handle. He's on the fast track to burnout. Like if this was your pastor, you'd say, we need to hire another pastor. He is a very busy guy. But at the same time, I share this with you because of that key word, authority. The whole chapter highlights, all these different stories highlight Jesus' authority in his teaching, in his relationship with the spirit world, his authority over sickness, And it's this Jesus, this one who has unlimited authority, the same Jesus also has an invitation. This day starts with an invitation to these fishermen. Look again at the very beginning of the day, verse 16. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. So I want us to explore this invitation. Somebody told me I should call this sermon, Go Fish, but uh, it's called An Invitation to Authority. I want us to explore this invitation, and we're going to explore the three parts of it. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. There's three things that Jesus is offering, Jesus is inviting us into through this statement. So let's take a look together. The first part of the invitation, follow me. And it's a a bold call. I'm not even sure that the disciples originally, they understood what they were getting themselves into. And frankly, I don't think that we do either. Uh, So we dive into this first part of the invitation. I want us to just start with a little exercise a little uh, uh, exercise together. In, in your sermon notes, you're going to see some blank lines. I mean, it's always full of blank lines, but you'll see three sets of of numbered lines, one through five. And here's what I want us to do. In the, in the first set of numbers, you, even if you don't have the sermon notes, you can play along in your head, okay? I want you to think of five sermons you've heard in your life, that have had a big impact on you. Five sermons, and just just write them down in that first set of blanks, one through five on the left side. Five sermons that have drawn you closer to Jesus. I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. One minute, go. Okay, that's enough awkward silence, so we're going to stop right there. Even if you didn't finish, that's okay. Uh, The next set of blanks in the middle there, I want you to think about five experiences that you've had in your life, five things you've experienced that have drawn you closer to Jesus. So think about that and write those down. I'm going to give you some time for that. Go ahead. All right, one more list. Even if you didn't finish, you can, you can keep thinking about it. But third set of blanks. I want you to think about five people who have helped you draw closer to Jesus. Five people in your life. Write those down. All right, now, if you're like almost everybody who does this exercise, then that third list is the easiest for you to create, which is pretty counterintuitive when you think about it. I mean, we've all heard a lot of sermons in our lifetime, right? And yet, narrowing it down to five that it really had a big impact, that's hard. Like, I can hardly remember what the sermon was about last week, and I preached it, you know what I mean? Uh, and in the same way, some of us have lived a lot, we've had a lot of experiences, positive and negative, and, and, and they've drawn us closer to Jesus. And yet, for whatever reason, that third list is almost always the easiest to create. It's easy to think about people. And that's because relationships are a big piece of what God uses to help us grow. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is inviting us into, a relationship with him. And notice he calls these disciples, and then he spends the rest of the day working. He's not not teaching them necessarily. They're not going off on a a weekend retreat. He's simply bringing them along into his life, into his mission, and they're going to become an increasing part of it. He brings them into a relationship, invites them into a relationship. This more than any formal training process, anything like that. He invites all of us into that same kind of relationship. And I think it's worth noting that uh, discipleship like this was not totally unheard of in Jesus' day. In fact, it was actually pretty common amongst rabbis of this first century. A lot of rabbis would gather followers, but the normal way it worked is different than what Jesus does here. Normally, a student would go seek out a particular rabbi and and ask to follow him, but Jesus does things differently. In this case, Jesus is the one approaching the disciples and asking, calling them. Well, that's against the norm, but Jesus has authority To be able to do that. And what's even more striking, though, is that that Jesus is calling them to follow me. I mean, all through the the Old Testament prophets in the Bible, they're calling people not to follow themselves, but to follow God. And that the rabbis of Jesus today, they never said, Hey, come follow me. They just said, Hey, come learn the scriptures from me. And so Jesus' call of the disciples has very dramatic authority. He says, Follow me. And the strange part is not so much that Jesus breaks the custom, but the strange part is these disciples actually respond. This invitation is so compelling to these disciples that their lives are never going to be the same again. But I think it gets to that authority piece. Jesus' very words have authority. He speaks to these men, and they follow and it's not as if they're just sitting around doing nothing. They're engaged in business. The, the kind of fishing they're doing is, is more like commercial fishing than recreational fishing. It, it's hard work. It took a level of organization, of managing other people, all these kinds of things. And yet when Jesus calls them, they drop everything. They leave their family, their business, their livelihood, and they, they come. They follow him. And that's very shocking, especially if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about our relationship to our family. We talked about how important it was to honor your family in this culture, like father, like son. In this culture, you followed your father or your mother first and foremost. So for these guys to walk away from that is very, very surprising. But I think it speaks to Jesus' authority. His very presence, his invitation to them has authority. And if you look at the verses right before this call, Jesus has been talking about repentance. He's going around preaching repent and believe the good news. And certainly this call to follow me is connected to these ideas, connected to repent and believe. The calling of the first disciples clarifies that repenting and believing the gospel, it should result in abandoning your former way of life to follow Jesus from then on. That's the right and appropriate response. That's why Mark records this call in this section all about Jesus' authority. He's demonstrating to you and me that following Jesus' authority means a change for us. Uh, a lot of times when people come over to our house, I'll offer them coffee. You know, I love coffee. I love people. Why wouldn't I want my two favorite things together, right? But, but depending on the person or depending on how late in the day it is, they'll say no to my coffee about half the time. But there's something that's weird because I've noticed that my, my, my wife is not a coffee drinker. She's never been a coffee drinker, but she loves tea, and she drinks tea uh, British way with, with milk and sugar. And, uh, and I've noticed something that when my wife has people over, she'll offer them tea, and they almost always say yes. And she makes some tea her way with milk and sugar. And I gotta think, well, all these people—they're not sitting at home drinking tea with milk and sugar. Like they're not predisposed to be tea drinkers. There's just something that happens when my wife extends that invitation to tea. Everybody, uh, you know, just responds. I'm trying to crack this code because, like, nobody wants my coffee. You know, like it's weird to me, but it's very fascinating. But I think there's just something about that invitation to to imitation that's appealing. People are kind of transformed into classy British tea drinkers in my wife's presence. I I don't understand it, but it highlights this this idea. When Jesus invites us to, to follow me, he's really inviting us into a relationship. Come imitate me, is what he's saying. And for us, it's really the same way. When we invite people into relationships, we're naturally inviting them into a form of imitation. That's a big part of discipleship. We see the same idea played out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul tells other people, follow me as I follow Christ. He's inviting them into relationship, into a, a life of imitation. Paul himself, he was an apprentice all throughout his life, as a, as a tent maker first, as a Pharisee, later under Barnabas. And that's why I think his focus throughout the New Testament is on this same kind of imitation, he invites people into relationship. Consider some of these passages from Paul. He says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. In Philippians, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on others who live as we do. Uh, he Later in Philippians, he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. First Thessalonians, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example over and over. That's his his pattern. Now, Paul, he grew himself through his own ministry experiences. The person he was at the start of his ministry is not the same person he was at the end of his ministry. And the same thing is true for us. We can say to other people, follow my example, enter into relationship with me, knowing that we are going to change. We'll change in part because of those relationships, right? So this is not as as daunting as it seems to to call people to imitate you, right? In fact, it's really the best growth strategy for us. Put ourselves in relationships that are going to help us grow. And that idea gets really to the next part of Jesus' invitation. Follow me and I will make you That idea of being changed through this relationship. But before we get to the next section, I want to share a story from church history. This this time in uh, the 1720s to 1740s in America and England is known as the First Great Awakening. There's a, uh, this time of rapid revival, rapid church growth. And, and the growth was centered around a couple of key figures. The famous Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards was really in his prime. But a young man named George Whitfield came on the scene. And it was his preaching, really, that, that launched this movement that swept the country. Over the course of his ministry, he preached over 18,000 sermons. You thought, you'd heard a lot of sermons, right? Uh, he preached to 10 million people. That's an amazing feat by today's standards, but think about that in the 1700s. It's unreal. Uh, there's another key figure, though, from this time of the First Great Awakening, a man named John Wesley. You've probably heard of him. Well, like Whitfield, he preached a lot. He preached over 40,000 sermons. But Wesley had a different approach than Whitfield. Whitfield would go, he'd gather large crowds, he'd preach to large crowds. Wesley would go to, to various places. He traveled on horseback over 250,000 miles, and he would, he would go and he would organize converts into little groups of 12, like the 12 disciples, and they would meet together each week. So, two big ministries with two separate areas of focus, right? And what's interesting. What's interesting is towards the end of his life Whitfield lamented the fact that his ministry was not as successful as Wesley's. I mean a guy who reached 10 million people with the gospel he shouldn't have a lot of regrets, but he did lament that that Wesley's model was better. Well what's the difference? The difference is the relationships. Wesley organized people into small groups so that they could keep growing, keep changing. He took advantage of the, the, the context that relationships provide for making disciples. Well, Jesus' is an, uh, call is an invitation to a relationship, first with him, but also with other disciples. That's one of the reasons we have growth groups. We know that kids, students, adults, all of us thrive within the context of relationships. That's where real growth can happen. So we learn not only from Jesus himself, but we learn from each other seeing the life of Jesus show up in each other's lives. We imitate not only Jesus, but we imitate each other. That's why we can easily make a list of people who have impacted our lives. That's the way Jesus intended it to be. So Jesus invites us into a relationship, but there's more to the invitation. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. At first, Jesus invites us from something, from our old way of life. He invites us to repent, to believe the good news. He calls us away from something, and then he calls us into a new life, into a relationship with him, and then comes the this, this second part of this invitation. Jesus is inviting us to something. It's an invitation to be transformed. He says, I will make you, I'll transform you. And Jesus specifically uses this metaphor of fishing for people, and that's not by accident. Of course, for one thing, these guys are fishing. That's the world that they understand. And, and Jesus does a really good job of meeting people where they are, speaking to their own context. But Jesus doesn't want them to stay where they are. He wants to see them transformed. Transformed. And yet Jesus is also using a metaphor that shows up in the Old Testament. A lot of the prophets use this metaphor of fishing for people. Now in their case, it was uh, talked about gathering people, like gathering fish in a net, gathering people for judgment. So when Jesus calls them out to fish for people, he's not calling them just to some benign mission, not just to a relationship of sitting around and, and learning. I mean, look at all the things, again, they experienced on the very first day. Demons cast out, sick people healed, teaching with authority, teaching designed to transform lives, right? All this is the kind of thing that Jesus is inviting them to. Transformation of their own lives, but also transformation of other people. So don't lose sight of the fact that when a a fisherman catches a fish, it has deadly consequences for the fish, right? Life doesn't go on the same as it did before. That's true for the people that the disciples will minister to, but it's also true for them. Each of us will be transformed by our own relationship to Jesus and will play a part in transforming others. And again, the key idea is authority. Jesus demonstrates on this very long day that he has authority to transform lives. Your life, my life, and he invites us to be part of that transformative work, bringing his message to other people. In one of the other Gospels, this same story is told, the same moment of Jesus calling his original disciples to fish for people. And what's interesting, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus specifically demonstrates for them some authority related to fish. Uh, Let me read from Luke chapter 5. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and he asked them to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on... You'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land. They left everything, and they followed him. So Jesus, he recruits Simon Peter first just to borrow his boat, but then he demonstrates his authority. And just imagine, a professional fisherman, a person who'd grown up fishing the same body of water all his life, and this traveling rabbi comes and says, Hey, you tried that spot over there. I hear they're biting, you know. Well, Simon knows that during the day, all the fish are going down to the bottom of the lake. They're not going to come up again until nighttime. Most of their fishing happen at night. But Jesus knows he's got authority, and he knows that he's also in the business of transformation. So Simon humors him, and then he's amazed. He understood that this miraculous haul of fish was just that. It wasn't natural. It was supernatural. No wonder he's willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. He's only begun the transformation process. And Jesus tells him there's so much more to come. Seeing these same kind of results, but with people, yeah, sign me up. But this moment also brought conviction to Peter. He starts to understand that this person who borrowed his boat to do some teaching is something more than just a traveling rabbi. Certainly, Peter had been right there in the boat listening to Jesus as he taught. He heard everything Jesus said. But now, that teaching has been affirmed by Jesus' authority over nature. And Jesus responds with this invitation. First, he brings comfort. Don't be afraid. Peter's response had been you know, conviction. Go away from me, Lord. He recognized his own sinful state. He saw himself for who he really was. But Jesus doesn't go away. doesn't leave him as he is. He invites Peter in. He invites him into a lifetime of transformation. He's never going to be the same again, and neither will we. So there's a couple of implications here. First, we've got to recognize that everyone we meet is in need of transformation. Everybody. So that means that some folks we encounter, followers of Jesus, they're in process Some of us are being transformed, but none of us has arrived. I mean, until we die or until Jesus returns, we're all going to be in the process of being transformed. And that should give us all a lot of grace. Grace for each other because we all have room to grow. And we allow each other grace for that. But at the same time, it should encourage us to have grace for others that we encounter who are not yet in process. Folks who haven't yet put their faith in Jesus. They're also in need of transformation. So we can't expect them to, to live up to this place, these kinds of standards, because they're still living down here. We've got to have a lot of grace for people. And the other implication goes back to what we said in Jesus' original invitation. It's an invitation to relationship. And that's true for the transformation, too. When we encounter people, people who are in need of a transformation just like us, we have the joy to be able to invite them into relationship because that's how transformation happens in relationships. This morning we were singing uh, worship songs, and uh, one of the underlying themes of these songs is all about our story, our story of transformation. We sang things like, uh, I was dead in the grave, I was covered in sin and shame, I heard mercy call my name. He rolled the stone away, transformed from death to life, right? We saying I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Our identity has been transformed. When we gather together, we rehearse the gospel. We remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. He's transformed us. And we're singing out loud, in part because we're singing to God, but in part because we're singing for each other celebrating our relationship with each other, how God has transformed us through Christ. And the fact is, we need each other. We need relationships. None of us is going to be transformed alone. We need a relationship with Jesus first and foremost, but we need a relationship with each other. Again, that's why our growth groups are such a key part of what we do here. We need others to help see transformation in our lives. Now, there's a third part of Jesus' invitation. He invites us into relationship. He invites us to transformation. And then third, he invites us to multiplication, to become like him, fishing for people. Think again about Jesus' very long day here. He models for these fishermen the kind of transforming work they're going to be engaged in. And later on in the Gospel of Mark, they do the same kinds of things, multiplying Jesus' efforts. Jesus gathers 12 disciples, and then he sends them out. In fact, the gospel specifically mentions that he gives them authority. He gives authority, and then he gathers followers together. He gives them the same authority. It's, It's like the great commission that he gives to each of us as he's leaving the earth. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And he reminds us of his promise. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives us that same authority. Ultimately, his invitation is an invitation to authority. It starts with him inviting us into relationship, then it carries on as an invitation to be transformed, and finally, we take our own transformation and we multiply the effects of it. We pass it on to others, helping other people become disciples. You know, we talk a lot in church about discipleship, right? About what it means to be a disciple. We should be engaged in discipleship. But one of the things I talk a lot about with our growth group leaders is the difference between discipleship and disciple-making. Discipleship is the idea of our own spiritual growth. You know, we read the Bible, we pray, we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we go deeper in our relationship with God. But Jesus comes to us with authority, and he comes not just calling us to discipleship, but to disciple-making, to multiplication. That's what his entire long day is focused on, And all his other days, too. Disciple making. He doesn't go around just collecting a few more disciples. He gets his core group of 12, and he teaches them how to go and make more disciples. And he commands us to do the same. Not just be a disciple, but be a disciple maker. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. So if we're committed to our relationship with Jesus, we have to realize he has invited us into multiplication. He's inviting us not just to discipleship, but to disciple making. Jesus has his heart set on changing the whole world. Notice one more time, this very long day, right before this day starts, Mark records the ministry of John the Baptist, right? John devoted his life to calling people to repentance, preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. And when John is arrested, his ministry stopped. But God's plan still continues. Jesus picks up the work. He does what God called him to do. And then Jesus invites us in to multiply that same work, making disciples. Before I became a pastor, a lot of you know I was an actor, and I went to school for acting. And one of the kind of hobbies of people who are learning to be actors, learning to be professional actors, is figuring out what kind of job can you get when you're in between acting jobs. Like, everybody knows you really want to act, but it's hard to get an acting job, so you're going to have to do something else to pay the bills, right? And so you'd find creative jobs that would be flexible enough and stable enough. And anytime two or more actors are gathered, they're going to talk about, hey, what, what's your side gig? What's your main job while you're out here looking for this, you know? And one time we were having these kind of conversations, and, and one of our professors came up, and he listened for just a minute, and then he said, no, no. He said, an actor acts. If you're not acting, you're not an actor. You're just a waiter, or you're a salesperson. He said, if you're an actor, your job is to act. And what he meant by that is simply just don't get distracted by all these kinds of things that are sort of like acting, but they're not really acting. Ultimately, that's going to take away from the thing that you've called to do, right? Well, the same thing is true for us as followers of Jesus. If we're called to follow, we follow We enter into a relationship with Jesus, we commit to our own spiritual growth, our own transformation, and we go and make disciples. If we're not making disciples, if we're not being changed, then we're not really disciples. That's our focus. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fish for people. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to multiplying Jesus' mission. We pray with me. Father God, we are grateful that you have uh, sent your Son Jesus to invite us into relationship, and ultimately a relationship that transforms us. We've crossed over from death to life, as your Word says. And in that transformation, Lord, we know that you have given us your authority. Your son Jesus has all authority because of his obedience to you, and he gives that authority to us so that we can go and make disciples. And that's the desire of our heart. We want to see our world, our valley, our community changed because of the change that you're bringing in us. The same transformative work that you're doing in our hearts, Lord, We want to see in the hearts and minds of people throughout this valley. And we know that that's the work you've called us to, not just being a disciple, but being a disciple maker. And so we pray that you would continue to uh, uh, nudge us forward, continue to transform us, continue to use our relationships with each other to guide us towards deeper and deeper transformation that results in deeper and deeper disciple making. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.